There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and intelligent cunt, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Windy. If anyone listening, uh, that's me calling myself a cunt. I put that in the running order myself after watching it last night. I paused it and was like, that's got to go directly into the running order. Okay, so, 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 so the thing that makes that funny... Is that Bardi and I also had exactly the same conversation separately <laughs> minutes before we started recording and had planned. And I actually thought Bardi had written it into the running order and oh, was getting a good. bit annoyed that he'd given the game away. So oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I Hell thought yes. you had given it away, Windy. I thought you had done it. So Bardi and I are hating each other, about to call one another snakes. And no, it's <laughs> Nathan calling himself an intelligent cunt. <laughs> That's perfect. The, the 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 podcast synergy on all three of us separately arriving at that idea is that's perfect. <laughs> we are perfectly aligned. Uh, <laughs> this is the first in a series of all or nothing watch along specials. So what we're going to do is a walkthrough of each episode of All or Nothing, which is being released in three instalments. Our schedule will align to Amazon's schedule. All things being well, so we're recording this after the first three episodes have dropped. On Bank Holiday Weekend, there's more episodes dropping on the 7th of September and then more on the 14th. And we'll aim to have our podcasts out within a couple of days of them going live. If you haven't watched episode one of Amazon's All or Nothing series about Tottenham Hotspur, we suggest that you do so if you intend to watch it because we're going to spoil all of that episode here. If you have no intention of watching it, then hopefully we can successfully uh, articulate the goings on of the show and bring it to life for you. And hopefully this will be a useful piece of additional commentary to supplement the series. I think firstly, though, let's talk about our preconceptions and our pre-show feelings. So we've known about this show for a long time. It's been a long time in the making. Um, Bardi, what did you think when you heard that Spurs were going to have a documentary made about them? And how did you feel when you hit that play button? I mean, as Tottenham fans, we're... I think we're probably the fan base that's most scared of embarrassing ourselves. Um, we we kind of take any any time someone commits something to social media or Tottenham, there's a fear that you're showing us up or you're going to make us a laughing stock, or we're going to be like Arsenal or something like that. So when Amazon announced they were going to follow us, it was immediate fear across across all Tottenham social. And um, I don't know, I I'd seen the City one and I thought it was a little bit vanilla. I didn't think there was really anything in there that was insightful or embarrassing but then I kind of watched the Leeds one and then I was just thinking maybe maybe there might be something in this for me 
um, as a Spurs fan and someone that perhaps perhaps I only see Tottenham as, as Tottenham players as these as these figures and you kind of forget who they are as you forget that these are children running around a football pitch and you kind of forget who they are. So I, I don't know. I was I would it would either be really good for me and get me to invest a bit more in some of these players that I'm quite happy to bin off or it would make me think, oh my God, we're turning into them a lot. So I, I was really split and a bit apprehensive before I hit play. For me, I um I had a surprisingly visceral reaction to the show becoming available and that the moment before I hit play and moments after hitting play, I felt a surge of emotion, which I really wasn't expecting to feel. And I can only say that it's, it's something around the fact that this show puts us on a pedestal. This is a club that I've supported for 30 years and is totally intertwined with every aspect of my life and my identity. And to see the club that I love and love to hate kind of exposed and, and held up in this way, it felt really odd to me. Um, seeing Pochettino at the start certainly added to that. I'm sure we'll come into that shortly. Nathan, how about you? Um, what were your kind of preconceptions and emotions going into this? Well, I mean, back with it being announced, I had sort of the same reaction of everyone, which is why does it have to be this scene? Why can you have been around, <laughs> for, you know, Champions League final run or even better, the last season at White Hart Lane? What an amazing, amazing documentary it could have been. It was the last of the old White Hart Lane. Uh, but you have to get over that and say, OK, well, this will be interesting, won't it? Um uh definitely definitely i had that same apprehension of oh god they're like they're gonna hang out my club to be exposed but like amazon are very much doing they aren't doing the like the arsenal fan tv sort of embarrass one club for the enjoyment of all the others um and i think that the target audience of the city city documentary was city fans and the target audience of the tottenham documentary is tottenham fans um which makes it not particularly interesting for non-specific fans maybe the Leeds one is more interesting they're obviously they're three different production companies talking about here but I think the overall mm-hmm. ethos sort of remains there um yeah I I I, I there's it's still weird like you said it's weird that it's it's almost I mean it's not um it's it's almost a sort of like Hollywood like distant lens on yeah. our little old club and that that does feel very weird I mean there's there's something which was strange for me watching it because um when you when you watch a game of football, you're at you're at the stadium. The players are there and they're exposed for forty five minutes and they're on that pitch, and then they disappear and nobody knows what goes in. There's this kind of mystique around the the, the changing room and what happens. Uh, Alex Ferguson with the hair dryer uh, when he kicked the peak, when he kicked, not to kick the pizza, when he kicked the boot at David Beckham's head. Teacups being thrown around and like these inspirational words and. We never see that. It's just it's just mystery. Then all of a sudden, to have it kind of laid bare that this is what happens, you know, <laughs> Aurier sits there with his top off and just kind of slumps in the corner. Um, Sonny sits there and Delhi is just swearing to himself. And it, all of a sudden, it's just opening up this kind of place that we, 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 we're never privy to. So in that way, immediately the child in me was just like, oh my days, this, these, these are, this is what goes on behind the scenes. So I think... Um, I think as a, as almost like a, a football voyeur, these things will always be interesting. And I think I've watched the Sunderland one, I've watched the Leeds one, and I've City one. And I think I will continue to watch it just because that dressing room experience, this is the closest we ever get to it. And when we um, won in the Champions League semi-final and we saw that footage from in the changing room, all of a sudden you're transported there. And it does almost make you feel a bit more belonging to the club because you're now seeing stuff that you don't see. 
That's true. That's really true. And I think, you know, we all put our own narrative on every match. Of course we do, because it's impossible not to. You go into watching every Spurs match with a bunch of preconceived ideas, be it about the team selection or the players on the pitch or influenced by the type of day you're having. If you're having a bad day, you might enjoy Tottenham in a different way that week. I mean, that is human. That's human nature. That's human behavior. That's normal. What we're seeing here is a production company and a producer and a director put in their narrative on each match. And that is interesting, um, but we have to also watch this through that prism and accept that that is the case. Uh, And also, I think what we're going to have to accept is that there are going to be lots of very, very, very bad takes off the back of this show from non-Spurs fans who don't understand the context of some of what was happening at that time. Mm. Um, And from Spurs fans, frankly, who, who, who either don't understand the context of what was happening at that time or choose to believe in their own narrative. I, I think, and again, we'll come to this, this, this show can be used to support or um, can, can be used to support any narrative you possibly might have, particularly in relation to Jose Mourinho. Um, and it's fascinating. I mean, this, this nearly got even more personal for The Extra Inch because a little look behind, behind the scenes here, uh, we were approached by the production company and asked to license our podcast. So we were asked to make clips from our podcast available to them to choose from uh, in the making of the show. And of course, we were very happy to do that. It would have been really cool to hear ourselves on the show. Uh, ultimately, they chose not to use any of our clips. I can't think why that might be the case. I mean, surely all of our content is gold and, and should definitely be included in this in this show. Uh, alas, it wasn't to be. I think they might have used clips from other podcasts. I think I might have heard some voiceover that didn't sound like sort of um, punditry, classic punditry, and sounded more like it was from some sort of fan media um, and didn't really add a great deal, I don't think, but that's that's the route they chose to, to go down. Um, yeah, it's nice that they chose to collaborate with, with fan channels and podcasts. Yeah, no, it was definitely... It's, it's always a good idea with these shows to use content from the true fans who actually watch the team week in, week out and know the goings on. Uh, you know, people like us who are jumped up little shits who think we know better than everyone else have no place <laughs> in this kind of programme. Um, let's talk about some some sort of production notes of the overall show. So All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur is directed by a man called Anthony Philipson. He is known for doing 24 hours in A&E or some some episodes of 24 Hours in A&E, plus some dramas. So he's done Younger's New Blood and Our Girl. He's directed all of those. I've not seen any of those shows personally, so I can't I can't comment on um, his directorial style. The show is produced by Claire Cameron, who produced Educating Greater Manchester, which is a show I really enjoyed. The executive producers are John Douglas, who again uh, did one of the 24-hour shows this time, 24 Hours in Police Custody, and Our Cops in the North. And Mark Raphael, who also did Our Cops in the North and did Trump and American Dream and Cutting Edge. So a lot of the producers are sort of experienced documentarians who have had um, yeah, experience in producing content similar to what we're seeing here. It's narrated by Tom Hardy. That was an interesting choice. What do you make of that announcement, Bardi? Um, well, City used Ben Kingsley, um, Leeds used um, Russell Crowe, so it's not an uncommon choice to use an A-list celeb. He's got a he's got a nice voice. I'm a fan of Tom Hardy, but you know, he, most of the time you actually forget it's him. It kind of just it just becomes a narrator, and he doesn't add any kind of personality to it. So it, it was a it was an okay choice. I, I think what you're saying is he should have narrated it in the style of Bane. Uh, Nathan, what <laughs> yeah. do you think of Tom Hardy? 
I thought he did a really, really, really good job on on the points that Vardy's saying, which is that he's like he plays the role of the narrator mm. um, rather than it being like, "Hi everybody, I'm Tom Hardy. Welcome to the Tom Hardy Show," uh, <laughs> and sort of like it's in your face all the time. Um, yeah, he's got a really, really rich voice, and it's it's ripe for narrating. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Tom Hardy. I agree. Yeah, no, it's it's a really it's a really good voice for the job he was asked to do. Um, it's interesting that on the front sort of screen of the show, it is all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur, narrated by Tom Hardy. They've they definitely made the most of that um, that casting decision there. So let's get into the episode. So this particular episode, episode one, is called A New Signing, all in caps. The blurb reads, as the new season begins for Tottenham Hotspur, expectations are high following a thrilling run to the 2019 Champions League final and some big signings during the summer. However, results on the pitch in the first few months are disappointing as the team slipped down the league table, forcing chairman Daniel Levy into a difficult decision. Will it pay off? So there's a bit of a spoiler there in the blurb for anyone who's not familiar with um, the Tottenham Hotspur story. This episode covers the period pretty much from post-Champions League final, so we're talking 1st of June 2019, up until pre-match of West Ham uh, Jose Mourinho's first match in charge, 23rd of November 2019. So we're talking a nearly six-month period. And it does feel like quite a bit is crammed into that, uh, but mostly from post-Pochettino sacking. And I think that's a really interesting point that, you know, it's only 20 minutes in when he gets sacked. So we'll go through um, beat by beat. The show opens with a picture of the stadium and then Son picking up the ball against Burnley uh, this is your kind of first look at what the what the show's about. And the voiceover says, this is Tottenham Hotspur, a football club that has always believed in flair. That's the that's the first message that they want to convey. Uh, there's a whole series of other famous Spurs goals, and it turns out that this is just the intro that's used in each episode. Um, I found this opening irritating because not only did it have these kind of the goal montage thing, it then also gives a whole load of spoilers of what's to come in the show, not just the episode, but the whole show. And I never like that when you see things that are going to come. And I get it, it's it's an attempt to hook you in. But um, I personally found that an annoyance. The first scene proper begins with Daniel Levy saying, where are my extra 200 seats? Which, um, I don't know, what did you think? What did you think as an opening body? What what do you think of that as an opening gambit? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you with with the opening showing... Uh, cutscenes of of what's to come is a bit annoying, but I did find it interesting that we went straight into um, we should went straight into Daniel Levy, the man, the character, and have him talking about himself. I would like to have seen a bit more of a lead up into into that first kind of period of perhaps even the transition from moving from the Champions League final into signing two midfielders and everything else that went on behind it. But I I do understand the need to kind of move it on, move the story on as soon as possible because. As as we see as this episode develops, the main story here is not Pochettino, our manager, who we all loved very much for five years being fired. It's the signing of Jose Mourinho. So their editorial decision was to move through that as fast as possible, but also introduce the the chairman. But this is a this is something that Amazon have used before, where they immediately the first point of reference is the chairman, and you find out who the chairman is and understand a little bit about him. So I wasn't surprised to see that. But um, as always, when Daniel Levy speaks, I'm always shocked he doesn't have like a, 
a really evil <laughs> voice because he he does he does have that. And but sorry, because one of you was going to say is I did love the way he even mentioned how people refer to him on Twitter about being hard nosed and about being tight and everything else. I did find that pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, basically, the show starts with Daniel Levy defending himself, talk, talking about how difficult a job it is to to run a, a football team, which is is a choice. Uh, he's talking, obviously, about the stadium project, but more broadly, he's talking about the difficulties faced in in perceptions of him. Nathan, what did you think of of that opening? Uh, well, I mean, more generally, I'm I'm pleased to see some screen time for Levy because I find him like this really obviously distant and closed off character who is also, as Buddy's pointed out, a sort of a bit of a villain. Um, and I I found him sort of surprisingly personable and and soft and and friendly and um and open. Um, so it was it's nice to see some of that to sort of to get like a bit of a read on him for a change because like you think about the decisions he makes and again you end up falling into this well he's you know he's a Disney villain he's seen uh, character but um, you sort of get a bit slightly more of a grasp on yeah absolutely and then his first interaction on camera with Pochettino is him basically saying oh that's a nice jacket is that cashmere <laughs> which was just utterly <laughs> bizarre but um, like you say it's new so it's interesting. Uh, Pochettino didn't look very comfortable in in those kind of natural bits where he wasn't sat behind the desk and he wasn't in managerial role. He did seem he did seem a bit hesitant with the camera, and reports suggested that he wasn't very keen on this idea in the first place. And that first kind of look at him, the way he holds himself, is is a polar opposite to how Mourinho holds himself when he's kind of has the camera shoved in his face. It, there's not much Pochettino content in this in this episode. Uh, but like you alluded to there, Barty, I found him difficult to to warm to in this, and I'm sure that's I'm sure the time in which this was made is not flattering to him generally, naturally because he was having a really really difficult time. But he doesn't come off particularly well. Um, so straight from Levy talking about Pochettino's cashmere jacket or jumper, um, he he talks about what attracted him to Pochettino in the first place. I found it really fascinating that the first thing he mentioned is how good he is in front of the camera. I mean, Pochettino is famous for having this kind of real modern tactical style and being a, a man manager. And yet, here's Levy saying he's good in front of the camera and that's what attracted him to him. Bardi, what do you think of that? Well, and also we're forgetting that Pochettino used a translator for his for the season that he was in charge of Southampton. He right. didn't actually speak English to the media until he arrived at Spurs. So it was a strange comment from Levy. And I wonder if there's something there about kind of towing the party line or you know not courting controversy, perhaps, mm. um, that's relevant. So we move from this on to the Champions League semi-final where you have interspersed shots of Lucas and Son and Sissoko essentially puffing their cheeks, shaking their heads in disbelief and saying, wow... Um, and then the the narration continues. It also won the club over a hundred million pounds, and the camera focuses <laughs> Daniel Levy, which is which was just um, spectacularly done from the director. I kind of admired that. Uh, and almost immediately, we move on to what happened next. So you have this quite long section with Jason Burt from the Telegraph um, talking. I mean, giving his view essentially on what he think went, what he thought went wrong, and the players finding it difficult. And, and we're thrown into this context of contractual issues and difficulties we're shown shots of Alderweireld, Vertonghen and Ericsson getting out of their cars we're aware that there are they're coming into the last year of their contract there's issues there and they, and something needs to be dealt with and then we're shown sections from 
Pochettino's press conference about it's when he's kind of getting defensive about his job you know my job is just coaching that maybe the club wants to change my job description and uh, Bert is then back talking about the strained relationship between Levy and Pochettino with with Levy saying that the engine of the club is the team and Nathan did this bring back sort of bad memories of of that time yes yeah like as much as when I sort of heard in advance um, that Pochettino was only getting sort of 20 minutes or so of an episode. So I was, that's a shame. I'd really like to have got more of an idea of what was going on. When I was actually watching it, mm. I was thinking, I can't wait for this bit so that I don't have to relive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would really have loved, again, as I sort of already mentioned, a sort of uh, an, an eight episodes, you know, series on Pochettino when the times were good. Um, but that's definitely what we were a long way from here. Um, it's been really interesting to sort of see because a bit like Levy, he's also kind of a closed off uh, character a lot of the time, even though he's getting huge amounts of screen time. We don't know much about him sort of behind the scenes, um, but that's not what I wanted to see under these circumstances. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, it made me sad, I must admit. We then get this kind of snippet of, well, it's kind of one of the only behind the scenes snippet with snippets with Pochettino, him and from memory, it's Jesus Perez, they're, they're sat mm-hmm. in his office. And they say, or Pochettino says, if a house falls down and everyone sees it fall, but you have to anticipate that the house will fall. And then he kind of adds somewhat defensively that we're not talking about Tottenham, we're talking generally here. And I, I, I thought it kind of needed a narrator's voice to say he was. <laughs> because, I mean, that's exactly what happened. He did anticipate the house falling. It did fall and everyone did see that. And you have this kind of sad image of Pochettino spinning the Champions League ball which, I mean, that was a perfect metaphor and it was really well placed. Um, We then hear that we've won two of our first eight matches. We see Pochettino looking very glum in press conferences, which is something we became very much accustomed to. We saw fans leaving the stadium after the Bayern thrashing. We see Daniel Levy looking very awkward at full time. And then we see some sort of candour from the players in relation to what they think's gone wrong here. And I thought it actually was quite nuanced and quite well done. We had Kane and Son both explaining the real multitude of things that go into a poor period of form. You know, partly it's the players, partly it's the club, they say, partly it's um, the management. And Lloris then is shown talking about the confidence. And it's clear that the players all felt this kind of collective responsibility, I felt, from, from this section. What did you think, Nathan? Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I wasn't expecting to get a huge amount of insight, but I just thought that it was that there was just there was nothing there. It's 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 heartwarming to hear sort of Kane speak with sort of a level of um like gratitude and and, and him expressing his own genuine sadness the situation because. Um, you sort of you want that honesty from him, and you want to, to feel his connection. He's obviously you know he's the Tottenham, isn't he? Um, but aside from that, I, I wasn't getting a huge amount out of what the players were saying. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean to be honest, it's, they're they're in a difficult position there because what can they say? Of course. I, I just think um, I, I do think it's important to acknowledge that it's not simply a management failing; it is a player failing, it's a club failing, it's it's everything happening at, together that 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 meant that it went so bad. So. Um, next we see Pochettino, uh, sorry, no, we don't, we see the Liverpool defeat. There's a section around with the five live phone-in um, section with someone called Gary saying that players aren't playing for Pochettino. And and that's the kind of elements of it where I'm thinking, you know, if this anyone could have said anything at that time. You had just as many people defending Pochettino as you had criticising mm. him. And it, that felt very sort of narrative-y, if you like. 
Uh, the graphic shows I'll drop down the table, and then we have Pochettino surrounded by the print journalists, with Matt Law asking us um, about the fact that we're going to go into the international break, and we need to turn things around to get into the top four, and they're, they're pressing him a little bit, and he just says, it's normal. And to me, it felt like a, a particularly poignant scene, because his literal inability to answer the question, the direct mm. question from these journalists, was also a metaphor for the fact that he had no answers on the pitch he had no answers in the dressing room and that made me feel really quite emotional seeing him look so glum he's such a sort of exuberant articulate man full of ideas and that just left him at that point Bardi how did you feel seeing that part yeah it, it just it just brings that it all it was all a bit of a shame and this it just kind of is it, echoed in the show I think they were quite respectful to Pochettino. They could have gone in really hard on him and then really made him to look the villain, especially by um, they didn't linger too long on on the. They, I mean, they they didn't even mention Brighton. They didn't even mention Lloris breaking his arm. They really could have gone in on Poch. They did. They gave him the respect to show that it was not him, and there was a breakdown across the club. And I think that was a kind of parting gift to Pochettino that we could have really done you in here, but we didn't. And yeah, it, and and that's why that's why I just feel ashamed at it. I wasn't really sad. I wasn't really happy or angry. But it was just like, oh, that that could, what could have been. Absolutely. We then had this kind of slightly throwaway um, line from Daniel Levy about the stadium tours that have all sold out until January. Which I mean, that probably had a has a place in the show, but it didn't feel like it fit with that section to me, buddy. Well, it's business. It it kind of shows the the never ending wheel of football that it's always about what's happening next, what we've got to do next, progressing, progressing. And sometimes players, managers just end up getting put under the wheels of this giant football club. And we are that giant beast now. And, and we're going to run over managers and players in as we continue to pursue money and qualifying for Europe and stuff. I, I stand corrected. You're, you're spot on. It kind of contextualizes the difficulty of that decision that Sometimes you have to take a decision for the, the greater good of the business. You're right. Um, so we have the po- the pre-Red Star uh, press conference where the press have essentially said to Pochettino, is this the end of an era? And he kind of awkwardly says, I hope to finish the contract. But it's um, an awkward press conference, to say the least. And you've got the hostile atmosphere of, of Red Star with them singing Tottenham, <laughs> fuck you, which I had no, I did not realise that's what they were singing at the time. That was, um, that was amazing. That was incredible. Yeah. Really, really incredible. I, I, I wish we'd see more of that, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, and then you, you have this sort of section with Kane talking about Pochettino. Nathan's already mentioned it and saying, that's, "Yeah, that's what I was you don't want to let him down." Very, very sentimental from from Kane, who obviously was close with with Poch, buddy. I mean that that whole trip to Belgrade is um, the Champions League has become such a sanitized tournament now that it's just like you know, pop stars playing football against each other. Mm. But it was a real throwback of just seeing them on that coach being taken through Belgrade, police escort, mm. through the tunnel, out to the crowd, the crowd being really kind of uh, singing like Tottenham, fuck you. It was um, it was a throwback to like what football used to be when you're travelling abroad. So I, I did quite like that touch and it did kind of give us um, a kind of an idea of what the pressure and this, how high the stakes were at that moment. Absolutely, and in many ways that couldn't have come at a worse time for Pochettino, that um, intensity. Uh, you can just imagine how much that must have heightened everything he was already feeling, going into that environment and um, seeing that atmosphere when he probably wasn't at his strongest emotionally. Uh, that must have been really difficult for him. 
Uh, you did have defend defence from Son of Pochettino as well, and again he's talking about how grateful he is for what he's done for the club and for him personally and for the players. And Delhi saying we've got hundred percent trust in him. Interspersed with a clip of Glenn Hoddle saying that this this match could be a turning point with Pochettino looking happy. Again, narrator's voice. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheffield United match comes. Bardi's mentioned already they don't touch on Brighton, so they they use the Sheffield United match as the pivot where it's kind of the final nail. And the voiceover uh, says that Pochettino can't seem to stop Tottenham's decline. We're 14th. We've got one win in the last six league games with seven points off bottom. And uh, the next scene is that Mauricio Pochettino has been sacked. And we're only like 20 minutes into the first episode. It feels like quite a, a big deal. And it's all happened really rather quickly. That's many, many months of activity compressed into 20 minutes. Um one, it's, it's quite a nice piece of directing with the fans singing his name, the overhead shot of the stadium with the lights on, and then the lights go out. I thought that was, um, I thought that was quite touching in a way. You then have this empty manager's office uh, before it goes back to Daniel Levy. So this is our second big glimpse at sort of inside Daniel Levy's brain and decision making process. And this actually genuinely is sort of quite human from Levy. And um, they ask him how he got to this decision, and he says. A lot of heartache is the honest answer. And he sort of talks about the fact that they've worked together for five and a half years, that his heart was saying no, but his brain was saying yes. It was the most emotional decision he's ever had to make. It was more than an employee-employee relationship. And he talks about the fact that they've done stuff away from football together. They've, they've you know, been away together, he mentioned. Um, Nathan, I guess this kind of tallies with what you were saying about Levy before, but did you know anything more about him here? It's sort of, it's sort of what you wanted to hear a little bit. I think, uh, which does make me question like the honesty of it. Um, it's certainly what I would like want Ooh. to believe, but um, but but you know, uh, <laughs> it's very hard to get a grasp on what anyone in this entire thing is saying that has any sort of um balance of, of truth to it. I don't know. Yeah, I do like how um as as the episode progresses and even as you move forward through the through the season, um, Levy is always when some the pitch. The players, reaction, reaction, reaction. Then it comes back to Levy to kind of spell it out in, in like Daniel Levy terms for us what it means. So you can see how Spurs are, are like not performing on the pitch, how the players are reacting. And Daniel Levy's like, I had to make the decision. He's, he's, he's always, he's like, the, he's like the Jiminy Cricket of, um, of, of this where he's the conscience and he has to explain everything that's kind of happened for, for the real people. He, he says that uh, he'd like to think that they can be friends again, basically. Uh, but at the moment, <laughs> things are a little raw. Um, Buddy, do you think Levy and Pochettino are going to be friends going forward? Um, maybe at some point down the road, but I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're WhatsApping each other to see how they're going on. They're not. They're not going on holiday anytime soon. So then a car pulls up. It's the twentieth of November. Daniel Levy is shown with a gaggle of people in the canteen who we don't know. We have no context as to who they are, but they're men and women in suits, basically. And then we see Jose Mourinho from behind walking down corridors saying good morning to people. Uh, and it seems like they're signing his contract in the canteen. Um, Nathan, did, it, did this strike you as odd? <laughs> it wasn't. Okay, there's one bit from the scene that really caught me. So one of the execs mentions we did well to keep it quiet. And I specifically right. remember that like they didn't. Because I remember that we recorded a podcast reacting to his firing. And while we were recording, I was like glancing over Twitter and I saw the rumour 
it's going to be Mourinho. And we're right at the end of the episode of recording. I'm going, should I mention it? Should I mention it? And I waited until after we finished recording and I mentioned it. And you were like, oh, you know, we had the reaction off air. So he definitely didn't keep it quiet, which made me laugh when he's like, oh, he did well, like congratulating himself when like the, the rumor was out <laughs> the night before. And maybe, maybe they've been planning it long, long, you know, for weeks and weeks, in which case they kept it quiet until the last minute. But, um, you know, that made me laugh. So I, I can only presume that these people are from Jose Mourinho's management agents, that they're, they're his representatives and they're getting the deal done. Um, they, Levy signs the contract, as I say, in the canteen without Mourinho being there. And then we're shown um, Mourinho, I think it's with Levy in, in this scene, where he says, it turns out I've, I've got a lot of friends at Manchester United or something. And he, he makes a point of saying how many nice messages he's had from people at Man U. And this is a sort of recurring motif with, with Mourinho that he kind of wants to... The, the PR goes into overdrive. Um, and I, I found that really fascinating that he kind of wanted to make that point. We then see United Daniel Levy. A lot. Sorry. He, he does mention United a lot. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's obviously had a big impact on him emotionally, hasn't it? You think that's it? I can only think that that's the reason why he keeps coming back to United because it's a very small, insignificant part of his career. Um, but it's one of very few situations where, he, although he's won stuff, he hasn't come out of it that well. So maybe he just can't get over it in some way. I mean, I, I think a lot of it does. Yeah, I think Man United is his is his big failure. He might spin it like he did, like he won two trophies, but it is still a big failure. We know his admiration, how much he, how much respect he has for Alex Ferguson. Mm. We know that that was when um, David Moyes ended up being the chosen one. That was where Mourinho kind of wanted to go. So you can, I, I do, I do understand why he feels a bit sad about it, and he does, he does kind of say nice things about Manchester United. So then it's around uh, the next section is around Daniel Levy's decision making. What does he do post Pochettino? Why did he make the decision to hire Jose Mourinho? And he says, there are, in my mind, two top, top coaches in the world. One of them is at another Premier League club, and the other one is Jose. Um, I mean, I was a little bit dumbfounded at that statement. I mean, I presume he's talking about Pep Guardiola, the other top, top coach, and, and not Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, Nathan, do you have any thoughts? It's telling that, that Klopp is excluded from the top two, whereas Mourinho and Guardiola... Who are like I think obviously Guardiola is still extremely <laughs> relevant, but Guardiola and Mourinho were the two best coaches in the world five, ten years ago as well. And I think it's sort of slightly telling that the Klopp is excluded. Mourinho is still a top manager. That he, I mean, maybe maybe slightly out of date there. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely I definitely think that that is his genuine belief, and I think that plays a you know that, that that's the. Um, sort of the sensation you got around us hiring Mourinho is that Levy was hugely excited about the opportunity. Well, it's really interesting because it kind of puts some of our previous conversations into context. We, we've mm. often discussed the reasons behind his appointment. Is it that he is ruthless and will clear some of the deadwood? Is it that we know we have our players aren't at the point they once were and, and therefore he can make us more difficult to beat um, and, and grind out a win of a league um, a, a league cup or a Europa Cup, Europa League trophy or something. No, it's simply that Daniel Levy believes him to be one of the two best coaches in the world, and I genuinely believe that he meant that as well. There was no sort of, um, I don't think there was any spin from Levy. I genuinely think he believes that Jose Mourinho is one of the best two coaches in the world, and that is why yeah. he points. I was staggered. I was absolutely staggered by that, and it made me long for a director of football even more, to be honest, <laughs> um, because pe- perhaps he doesn't have the sort of modern, up to date knowledge to be making those decisions, but. You know, 
could be my words when Mourinho wins us the league. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We then have Mourinho being asked about perceptions of him. So we've already had Daniel Levy talking about perceptions of uh, what fans think of him. Now it's Mourinho's turn. And he's, he says that fans see him as the man that doesn't smile and he's ruthless. And there is some truth in that. And he has a laugh about it. But he says that I can be different different when I'm with my close circle, be that friends or family. And then he adds, and the, and the clubs. Um, we see him unpacking his crates and boxes in the office. He's setting up his office. He's quite meticulous about doing so. He puts up a, 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 a sort of... Um, wipeable whiteboard style sheet up on the wall where he can uh, draw on tactics uh, he puts his glasses on and then he starts writing a list on a tactics notepad and I paused the television to try and work out what was on that list and I think I could work out that Foyt's name was on there and I think Winks's name was on there uh, mm. and we'll come back to the list because it becomes more fulsome a little later um, we see him setting out his principles he says all in you must give 100% that's really important to him that he wants to see players try as hard as possible and give themselves to the project. And then interestingly, and this was to me one of the, the most interesting segments, we see players sat together. Vertonghen, Kane and Son are talking about Pochettino's sacking and Vertonghen saying how they're used to his habits. They're basically talking about the change in culture that's going to come about. And Kane reveals that he spoke to Pochettino. And the way that uh, Pochettino tells this through Kane is that he had no inkling that he was going to be sacked, that he was told, you need to pack up, pack up your things and you leave tonight. I was absolutely shocked to hear um, that version of events. I don't know, you know obviously, it's secondhand. It's through Pochettino, who's been recently fired, and, and Kane's interpretation of that conversation. But, Bardi, did that surprise you at all, that they hadn't had any kind of leading conversations previously, Levy and Poch, leading up to this? I mean, I was quite surprised that they, they showed this and um, the Tongans almost um, the only way is Essex response to it than the way they caught his eyes. It was, it was a nice bit of um, nice bit of insight. Am I surprised it happened like that? No, no, I don't think so. And I think even if Pochettino knew he was going, he wouldn't have been able to tell Kane because then it would have got out and contractual issues and probably share prices and everything else like that. So I can understand why. Uh, Pochettino didn't tell Kane but it was it was a nice bit of insight and, and uh, a nice little thing to learn in, in the documentary uh, you then have Christian Eriksen frowning at the screen which is showing Mourinho's uh, sort of clips of Mourinho um, this clip of Eriksen frowning has now become a meme which is just fantastic um, we have Hugo Lloris talking about the fresh start you have Toby Alderweireld saying that he's always wanted to work with Mourinho, the most tactical manager there is, one of the best in the world. So it's not just Daniel Levy's perception, it's the player's perception as well, that Mourinho is a, a tactical great. And um, quite adorably, you have Harry Winks saying, I reckon it's going to be so tactical, talking about the training. <laughs> and then Winks shamefully reveals that he uh, reads the Daily Mail. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I do, I do quite like how, um, how occasionally they'll they'll just insert a comment or insert a player just to pump, just to ground the, just to ground them, and then you realise it's a twenty-three-year-old guy who do, who has not really experienced much in the world, lived in a in a in a football bubble all their life, and it, it just grounds you in that these aren't these aren't these kind of uh, superb, incredible geniuses in real life. They're just really good footballers, and it just. Oh, I saw a lot of the Daily Mail, and it just grounds you, and just it makes you realise that um, we can't always expect great things from these. They, they're not guys who have been to university or got ten A stars or whatever. They're, they're a kid who can kick a football really well, and uh, I, I really like. And throughout, I do like the touches of human side when um, when they just talk about the most basic things, and they 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 kind of shook by it. And uh, I, I did like I did like that little off the cuff comment, and um, I hope we see more of stuff like that. And the other thing is, Nathan, by implication, is that section with Harry Winks saying, "I reckon it's going to be so tactical." Does that imply that Pochettino's style on the training pitch wasn't tactical? I just, I mean, you're opening like an enormous can of worms where it's like, what is tactical? Like, mm. uh, uh, <laughs> you know, so Pochettino. Does he mean played... he means doing shape? I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, like, obviously, the football that we played under Pochettino was incredibly um, modern, incredibly tactically effective, um, but, like, how does that appear in training? Do the players, does Daily Mail reader Harry Winks know that he's training tactics when he's training tactics under Pochettino, that kind of, that was, that was sort of my reaction. What does it mean to be doing tactical training? Is it like, is he concerned about like being in the tactics room with the desk taking notes? Is is that what he means? Mm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm completely at a loss as to like how that, how that shapes. I read it as um, we will start changing how we play according to our opposition whereas Pochettino very much had this is how we're going to play and this is our style of football and we're just going to smother teams or suffocate them by doing this I think I read it as for the first time we're going to start perhaps playing deep against certain teams and trying to beat them by um, counteracting against them rather than um, so like Mourinho's very reactive football manager being reactive instead of being progressive yeah that's I think that's a really useful reading also to, to build on what Nathan was saying um, it's not necessarily a bad thing if a player doesn't think he's doing tactics because <laughs> he's probably kind of getting more out of training without realising that that's even happening. That's probably the sign of a good coach in some ways. Um, we then go back to Mourinho, and this is definitely going to become a meme also. Uh, he's listening to something on the television, a bit of a kind of talk show style um, presentation, and someone says that he's past his best and he says fuck off and switches the television off, which is just chef's kiss. It's perfect. It's so good. Um, we then see the notepad that he was writing on before make a reappearance and it's now got more names on it. So at the top on the right, it has in red pen uh, three out. And I think it says beneath that Trippier, Wanyama and then towards the bottom Son, Skip and Alderweireld. Uh Then it says Sanchez with an arrow down to the words one away. Uh, I can't quite work out what the the pad is is saying. It seems quite coded, but I'm interested to see interpretations of of that. I'm sure there will be a breakdown on Reddit by now. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm excited to see what they come up with. So we then see some training pitch shots. It's the the first team training pitch. Mourinho walks out with his tactics pad. The players are all inside watching him and the coaches set up the pitches. 
and he waves the players out from the warm-up room and they go and they get to work under Mourinho. He says, we start together, we come together um, one minute and he kind of explains the the roles of, of his coaching staff and introduces them by name. It's all very, very brief and it's just like, let's go, which kind of is an implication that they don't have a lot of time to do stuff before the first match. So let's just crack on, let's get on with it. Then you have this quite... Um, you have a few similar sort of moments where firstly he's checking with Danny Rose what to call Winks because obviously you've got Harry Kane so you can't have another Harry so Rose confirms indeed that it's Winksy that they call him and then he asks Kyle Walker-Peters whether he likes to be Walker or Peters and is is having a laugh with him when he then says no it's Walker-Peters actually <laughs> and Mourinho's like no that's too long a name for me. Buddy, what do you think of that? You do kind of realise here that Jose Mourinho, for no matter who he is and the the kind of um, the fame he has, he still has to convince those players that he can manage them, that he can lead them. And I think it's quite touching that he immediately wants to find out what they're called, what their nicknames are, and integrate himself within the squad. And it does show a human side, and it did kind of remind me of like... Um, if your teacher goes, if your teacher just disappears and you get a new one in immediately, they have to kind of learn quickly who everybody else, who they are, what they want to be called, and um, it does. You do, you do realize that these are human human beings and trying to trying to quickly because we've got a game coming up and we've been through a lot of drama and, and quickly kind of assimilate and get back to get back to the norm. It, it does make you really appreciate how difficult it is when a new manager comes in midway through. Uh, so at the end of training, he, he approaches Delhi and he says, you're fucking lazy. And Delhi's like, who, me? And uh, Mourinho says, I'm going to be a pain in the arse to you and, and describes how that's a good thing that he's kind of picked on him to be a pain in the arse to. Then he approaches Harry Kane and tells him to go to his office after breakfast the next day. Obviously, he wants a one on one. Um, and in the meantime, he says, go home to your kids. You've got two kids, right? Go home to your kids. Uh, or by the time you get home, they'll be asleep. Um, Nathan, what did you make of this sort of training section? I I think of Mourinho as being this supremely confident, charismatic and bold person. Uh, very much, you know, all of that is in sort of the positives aisle. But like, I found these moments quite awkward. I thought he seemed a little sort of weird, to be honest, in, in these moments. Not that like the players allowed that to develop into like this really horrible, awkward, cringy thing and they sort of they went along with what he was saying, of course. But like I, I was expecting him to be uh, uh I don't know, I guess less awkward in, in those moments. Is is that is that the reads that, that anyone else got? It it was very much hello fellow kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely I mean I I, I... What Nathan says is, is, I think it's spot on because what you forget is they, they all know each other because they all work in in the same industry for like for better or worse. So they Jose Mourinho knows Harry Kane, but they don't know each other. So mm. it is very weird that they're going from a level like where you know someone on, mm. on LinkedIn, for example, to then actually managing them, actually them being in your team, and then trying to find out who they are and what their triggers are. So yeah. It was a, it was a little bit awkward, but I guess that's just, just and this is what I I found the most fascinating thing about this documentary so far is the human side to these individuals. So yeah, it was really nice to see that. One bit that is specifically noticeable in this section, but is also consistent throughout, is that whenever he swears, it feels weird. It feels like he, he's an uncomfortable swearer, but he swears a lot. It's like he's like 
I'm going to use the word fuck now so that I come across more sincere or more human. And it's like, it's it's quite weirdly robotic. He doesn't seem to like, it's yeah, it's, it's a planned decision. to, And then he really emphasizes fucking lazy. And it's like, that's, it's weird. It comes across as weird to me, whatever. I think that probably could be the trend. If, if he'd obviously swear in Portuguese, so he's like getting that emotion, then it's maybe it's switching from, from could Portuguese be, yeah. to English. I think perhaps... If you if you swore in his native language, but only like a couple of players would get it. But yeah, I think that maybe that could be part of the awkward. Fair enough. Um, so then he says that there must be something wrong with this team because I played against you so many times and nobody insulted me in the tunnel or nothing. You must be too good. And and this is the sort of start of a series of comments about them all being too nice. Um, which so so this this is kind of one of the points i wanted to make about um people who come into this without the context of spurs and our history people many people will take that at face value you know lads it's tottenham um as alex ferguson famously said and spurs being this kind of pushover club but that's really not the reality of the the previous sort of four or three or four seasons under pochettino we had become some nasty bastards really had you know we were always up there in the sort of um, yellow and and um, yellow cards and fouls, not so much the red cards because Pochettino made them very tactically astute at knowing where the line is. You don't cross this line deliberately. Wind players up. Players like Lamella is probably still at the club because he's a shit house. I mean, the, that's the reality of it. He, they, we have a number of players who like to shit house. We had this kind of um, coming of age battle of the bridge game, but that's not the only game where we've misbehaved or, or wound opposition teams up. It, it became part of the culture of Postino's Spurs. So I was quite surprised to see Mourinho use this as a as a tactic. Um, but I guess also it's quite an easy way of, of getting players on side. Yeah, Nathan. I guess so. I, guess. I, I definitely, I definitely, because it's a consistent narrative throughout the whole episode and potentially going to be through the whole season. And I do agree that it is just bafflingly <laughs> incorrect. And for him to be like, oh, you never insulted me in the tunnel. It's like... We literally had a fight with your squad on the pitch. Like, I don't know, I don't know what more you want, to be honest, man. But um, but again, as as you pointed out, just because it's not correct doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a useful way of like mm. engaging the players and and getting them um on board and and engaging them and everything else. I just think it's it's an it's annoying to me that that's a narrative in the show because it's it's bollocks, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's day two. And Harry Kane's going in for his post-breakfast meeting. And this is another really fascinating... <laughs> I want to know what Harry had for breakfast. That's, that's oh, not... mate, I know. I, I wanted to know that as well. I wish they'd shown I him hope... that his breakfast first. I want to see one episode in the kitchen. I want to know what they're all eating because there's there's something going on in that in that canteen. They're, they're all drinking smoothies. What, what's in the smoothies? What are they eating? I want, a, I want an interview with the chef. It's got to be, yeah. It's got to be. You've got to see the chef at some point. So Mourinho um, takes a really interesting approach with Kane that I was not expecting at all, to be honest. Um, he says, I, th- I think, you, I believe you had a very good relationship with Mauricio. I love that. And, you know, he's basically saying, you know, perhaps we can build that relationship as well, which is exactly what you would expect. However, he goes on to say, you're a giver. Um, and he starts talking about the profile of the of the man. You know, you are um, essentially... He says, my dimension is universal. I am <laughs> what a, a huge what a celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> he he, he basically that. is going on to say, I am a celebrity aside from football and I can make you the same. 
Um, and, and Kane admits that that's his aim as well. I want to be Ronaldo and Messi. That's that's the, literally the words that come out of his mouth. I don't accept to be here winning nothing, is what Mourinho says in response. He says, you have better players than I had at Manchester United. And Kane seems to, from my perspective, find this highly motivational. So I think we can say that that is a, a useful piece of man management where Mourinho has tapped into something in Kane. And I, I really respect him for that. Nathan, did you have any thoughts on that section? I, I do agree that, like, it worked, but I feel like they were having different conversations. Like, Mourinho was talking okay. about, like, becoming, like, a celebrity. Mourinho was talking about, like, being a known character, whereas Kane is just talking about, like, scoring more goals and winning more trophies and having more achievements, because that's all Kane ever thinks about. Um, so, I, I again, yeah, I think it worked, but I think sort of, like, quite accidentally it worked. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it in in that context at all. So I think that's a really perceptive point. Um, you're right that Kane is just so focused on football, which is, you know, I'm sure that's something we'll come back to throughout this whole series because he's so unbelievably dedicated and driven. Um, and he, you're, you're right, he mentions Ronaldo and Messi. He doesn't mention, you know, any Beckham. other celebrity, basically. Yeah, he, he, yeah exactly, exactly. And um, Buddy, what did you think of that section? I mean... Yeah, I agree with what Neighbour says. It was weird that they were both having, they were having different conversations, but they, they both arrived at the same place. Yeah. Um, I think Jose in his office is probably my favourite Jose. He has this, they keep showing his watch. He has this big, massive watch, but then you see him with string tied around his glasses, keeping them <laughs> on his head. And it's just that kind of the difference between this guy that's a multi-million, multi-millionaire. With this incredible watch and all these photos, and then he's he's using he's he's got glasses like my dad, and uh, I do I I do like the I do like the old the old guy Jose he's growing on me. There's definitely like the Mourinho who turns up on the first day in like his like um, Armani black suit with black tie and freshly trimmed hair and freshly shaved looking really sleek and greased and then there's like Mourinho the nerd in his tracksuit with his string glasses (laughs) like very very different uh visual situations there because in in his early days at Chelsea, he was I think they even took odds on him being like the next James Bond or something. He was this kind of clean cut, suave, um, incredible like secret agent. But he's just he's an old he's an old guy who's who's trying to interact with young kids and try and talk on their level, and it, it's it's brilliant to watch. Buddy, that is the absolute perfect segue because talking of secret agents, then we see Jal Sacramento coming into Mourinho's office and he says one of the things, he says in Portuguese, may I add, one of the things that caught my attention, they say that Sissoko has great influence in the changing room, to which Mourinho responds, fuck, he cannot believe that Musa Sissoko is the greatest influence in the dressing room. Nathan, what did you think of that? Okay, so this this is where I'm choosing to make this point, which is that, like, I would really, really like to believe and accept that that is exactly how that conversation went, because it's amusing to me <laughs> for Mourinho to be stuck in a situation where he has to realise, oh, no, I have to, like, get Sissoko on board. Oh, no, I have to keep Sissoko because the player... Right, but... And this is going to be consistent throughout the documentary, just because that's how that conversation appeared on the screen... <laughs> doesn't mean Yao saying 
Sissoko is well respected was immediately followed by that shot of Mourinho saying fuck. For all we know, those were like an hour apart in the conversation. <laughs> that applies to every other conversation throughout the entire show. That applies to the bit with Ericsson frowning at the screen. That applies to Mourinho saying fuck off and turning off the television, right? Again, because it appears that way. Doesn't mean it is, and I very much want to believe this scene, but we have to we have to remember that it's it's a work of fiction that we are enjoying here. Of course you're right, but it's also really funny. So it is funny. <laughs> so there's that. Um either way, the way it's presented is that Mourinho is is surprised by this statement. He smiles and he nods. Um Sacramento adds they said Vatongan is a warrior, he goes to the limits. Uh, they talk about how nice they are. They say Dyer is the only guy that likes living the conflict during the game, which I thought was an interesting quote from that section. Um, and I guess that's something that's not hugely surprising from what we've seen. You know, Dyer is um, a very um, passionate player who who absolutely plays on the edge at times. Um, they mentioned that Kane is a silent leader, a leader by example. Everyone looks to him and sees how the guy works, which again is is evident from some of the, the footage throughout. Um then uh, we have another scene with um, on the training pitch where Mourinho asks Sanchez if he has balls, which is so weird. I don't know how that section made it in. It was just so like toxically vile to watch. But there we go. And then um, we see Levy dropping in to pay a visit to Mourinho. It's like he wants to to check in with his new guy. Nathan, what did you make of that? I just I just wanted to go back to the Davinson Sanchez scene where he uses the phrase "everybody shat yourself." Which made me laugh a lot because he's like he's talking about um, like pressing uh, Ajax in the Europa League final from a couple of seasons before, where he gave where he 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 left Davinson with the ball and cut off all his options, and Davinson sort of panicked and had a horrible game. But he uses the phrase "everyone shat yourself," which is just a hilarious sentence to me. And he means you shat yourself. You shat, you yourself. shat yourself. You, you didn't know what well, to do. He's he sort of stuck with because it's like. Uh, I made you shit yourself and it ruined it for everyone, is what he's saying. <laughs> By making you shit yourself, the rest of your team shat themselves. That's well, that, it, I think that's what he's saying. It does ruin. If you're with a bunch of guys and someone shits himself, it does ruin. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to be friends with the person who's just shit in their pants, right? No, everyone runs away from them. I mean, it was, I, mean I, I see why in some senses they kept it in because it showed that he's familiar with some of the players. He has, he has knowledge and background information on them. And in fact, he's prepared a tactical plan in this case, although that doesn't really come across in, in the show. We only know that through through previous context. But I did find that scene like quite repellent. Like, do you have balls? Which is so unnecessary. And I, I fucking hate that style. <laughs> it's just so outdated. But um, there we go. So, so Levy drops by Mourinho's office. And he's basically saying, How, how's it going so far, mate? Uh, they're, they're always going to be winners or losers, by which he means not everyone's going to be happy with your appointment and not everyone's going to be happy with the decisions that you take. We know this to be the case. We know that there's going to be some conflict coming up, right? Mourinho uses this as an opportunity to tell Daniel Levy that Delhi doesn't train well. And he says that Alex Ferguson had given him one bit of advice in all his time at Man United, which was to buy Delhi Alley. We need to find the right motivation for the guy, he says, um, which is interesting. Bardi, what did you make of that? I mean, did you see Levy's eyes there? He was thinking, had that happened, how much money he could have <laughs> got for Lee? How much money he could have got for Delhi? Um, yeah, a lot of money. Um, 
as we've kind of it's kind of been set out now who the principal characters are and these kind of interviews and these discussions in Mourinho's office you see who who are who are the key dressing room people we're going to, we know it's Sissoko, it's Delhi it's Kane uh, Vertonghen and these guys so it is kind of setting up the foundations for where the show is going to go from then on and let's not forget this this is a show that's it is what it is about creating drama and creating drama and a bit of tension even though we already know the end result for most of it. Um, and as I mentioned before, Daniel Levy does have this role in this thing where he always comes in at the end of the day and they kind of come to their conclusions about what they've learned and then it does set up for, for the next the next day. So Daniel Levy leaves Mourinho's office and as he leaves, Mourinho calls him boss, which I think is really naff and perhaps is for the cameras, but it's the equivalent of like putting an apple on the teacher's desk. It was yeah. like really... Um, sucky. I didn't like it at all. But like I said, I don't think he'd have said that without the cameras being there necessarily. <laughs> um, we come on to next a really, really key section. So the the cello kicks in in the background, and we're in the tactics room the night before his first game against West Ham. So Mourinho asks the team to trust him. He explains that you know, some of them are going to have a, a negative feeling because they're not going to be in the team, and that's only natural. Um, and they might start thinking, you know, the new coach doesn't want me. But he says, if I don't want you, you're going to know about it. I will tell you directly that I don't want you. Leaving you out of the team is not enough. It's not going to be you're left out of the team and, and therefore your time at Spurs is over. And I thought that actually was um, was quite insightful from Mourinho and quite sensible. Nathan, how did you how did you think of the way that played out? Uh, I think he's lying again, but I also think it's a worthwhile lie to tell because you're, it's a way of assuring people. But I also think that he will definitely leave players in the grey when, when that's convenient for him to do. I just I just wanted to pick up on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he talks them through the team selection. So there's some notable absentees. The camera focuses on them. So we go through Sissoko, who has a very intense look on his face. Vertonghen, who is deep in thought with his... He's kind of making a gesture of, of almost being in prayer. And then Rose just raises an eyebrow, which is amazing. Again, as Nathan said, those looks may not be in direct response to mm. um, what's happening as presented on in the show. But they are nevertheless the responses that the producers have chosen to show us. And then, like, the the section which has become absolutely the most famous section so far happened. Firstly, Mourinho tells Delhi in front of the team that he's a lazy, lazy trainer and shows an example of him playing what he calls a lazy pass. So he's kind of making an example of Delhi in front of a team. And then he uses that to build on sort of a wider point. And he tells them, for 90 minutes, you have to be a bunch of cunts. Intelligent cunts, not stupid cunts. And the C word is bleeped out, which I thought was interesting, given that we've seen that clip do the rounds deliberately or otherwise <laughs> on social media without any bleep. Yeah. Um, but he, he says it very deliberately, much like Nathan said before, it seems like he's really thought about the words he's going to choose to use and he wants them to be incredibly impactful. He tells them you have to be bastards in the sense that you're there to win matches, man. He does this <laughs> as man onto the end. And again, it's very like... Hello, fellow kids. Uh, which he he um he doesn't come across particularly naturally when he says things like "man." Yeah. Um. Uh, again, Nathan's alluded to that already. Uh, he he kind of says that Chelsea are going to shit themselves if we can get closer to them, and says we can make top four. I wouldn't come here if you weren't as good as you are. And um, Barney, what do you make of this section? Uh, I I. I... Completely disagree with how Mourinho's done this, and it is kind of like old football sense in how he's how he's worded it. What he says is is 
probably there's a lot of truth in there. I don't think he's articulated it very well. I think Spurs need to be they needed to be harder and stronger on the pitch, but that just normally in like key situations to be a bit more ruthless and to be a bit more cutthroat. And I just think the way he's he's expressed it doesn't doesn't kind of sit too well, and it has kind of shown him up to be a little bit kind of like win your fifty fifties lads uh, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I agree with. What he's trying to say, I just disagree with the the delivery of how he's done it. But, you know, they they want box office. As for bleeping, I guess it's probably to keep this show available to kids if they're watching it on, like, I don't know, Amazon Prime Kids or something. So, and so Americans out there who don't really watch much football will see this as a family-friendly show and sit down to watch it. But interestingly, they choose not to bleep any other swear words. It's only the C word that's bleeped, um, which is... Uh, there, there must be something technical there that we're missing that, that means they I have to so. bleep it, right? That, it's like um, if you if you show blood... if So, um, for example, Lord of the Rings, when someone gets their head cut off, the orc's blood comes out black. Because it's not red, it means it can stay under the, the lower the lower ratings on the, the guidance. It doesn't jump up into being like a, a 12 or a 15 or something. It can stay at a PG, something like that. So it's probably a reason. They have a list of swear words. And I think cunt is probably in like the Champions League of swear words where, you, 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 yeah, it pushes up your qualification. We have a bizarre, bizarre culture around which swear words, which words are the bad ones and which ones are worse yeah. than others and which ones you get. Mm-hmm. It's insane, but whatever. <laughs> um, Nathan, what did you think of this choice of Mourinho to deliver this speech here? Given given that this is really the first time that he stood in front of the players as a group, this is his first proper interaction. And of course, we don't have the context of what else he said in the room at this time. This could have been a 30 minute, one hour meeting where he went through a whole load of stuff. But he, he seemed to choose his words here incredibly deliberately. What did you make of it? Well, again, it's this idea that we haven't been cunts when we have been. But um, again, if he, if he gets them to buy into that idea, true or false, then 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 that's fine. Then it then it works. I just um, I don't know. I think it's kind of silly, but whatever. Mm, fair enough. I mean, I I believe that another approach might have been to to tell them that they are bloody good players who just need a bit of self belief. Like you don't need to tell them to behave like cunts, intelligent or otherwise. You just need to make them believe in themselves again, because there's a lot of ability in the squad at this point. But but you know, his choice um, is to sort of go for the very impactful, um, lowest common denominator approach. And some players might be insulted by that, quite frankly. But the majority seem fairly on board with it. Buddy, yeah, I mean. He started it by by being quite right that Delhi's laziness in his training and and the way he plays football and that pass out to Sun is the reason why we wouldn't have scored a goal there. So he does start and that that comes down to not being a cunt, but that's just being a bit more decisive and a, a bit more kind of prepared. And I think from Mourinho of uh, Pochettino's start of the season, that's what kind of happened a lot. Had we been a bit more ruthless mm-hmm. against Bayern, even though we got pumped seven two when we were one 0 up, we had chances to to go a couple of goals in front, and we didn't because we weren't ruthless. We weren't ruthless, and then we were just a bit soft. And I think Mourinho's trying to express that, but just in a in a really bad way. So following this, and um, we move on to the the pre. Um, the dressing room stuff pre-match, basically. The team talk. Mm. And this begins what appears like it's going to become a mantra for Mourinho. So he, he talks about how nothing can happen in a game that can affect your confidence. He's trying to instill in, this, in, instill in the players this belief that they are strong, confident women. That <laughs> nothing another player can say can impact that. Um, and it feels like a self-help tape from 1994. 
he repeats it over and over again, uh, and it's quite odd. Um, they get the win, so <laughs> perhaps it worked, but um, I, I, it jarred with me a little. Um, the other thing that jarred is Harry Kane's team talk, which is basically him saying, we've got a clean slate here, and then multiple F-bombs were dropped. Uh, and it, it seems very sort of... Uh, Put it this way, the ratio of fucks to any other words was excessively high and it kind of lost meaning as a result. He could have just literally (laughs) been saying, fuck, 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 and fuck, and that would have been the same net result. That yeah, but what did me. you expect? Yeah, but, but yeah, I wasn't expecting um, <laughs> a kind of Winston Churchill speech here, like a, a really inspiring speech from Harry Kane. It's just like, get out there and <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> and uh, I, I find it weird. I still, it's like, um, it's. I guess it's like, um, uh, it never happened to me, but I can imagine it's like walking in on your parents having sex, watching <laughs> Harry Kane swear is equally as... Um, as as weird as as it would be watching your parents have sex, yeah, I, it was. Unco- I felt uncomfortable with Harry Kane swearing. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. He's so wholesome that it just it, mm. it didn't seem normal. But um, apparently, it's what he does. <laughs> um, so we come to the end of the episode, and the last words, the last section is Mourinho sat in his office, and he says, "If you don't win, it's an empty career." And the person interviewing him at that moment says, you like winning as a, as a sort of question. <laughs> and he smiles and says, I hate losing. And that is the end of episode one. What do you think, Bardi? What did we learn in that episode? I mean, I think I, even this podcast, the way we, the way it's been structured, I can, you can see the way we just moved on from Pochettino and everything else that happened. It did build in, in interest. And um, I, I enjoyed the insight into it. And... As I keep saying, I've enjoyed seeing the human side of it, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses. How about you, Nathan? What, what did you did you did you feel like you learnt much of the inner workings? Was there anything that kind of took you by surprise? Uh, I learnt a little bit. Uh, I, I I and I also I quite like I quite like getting a visual for the inside of buildings, for the shape of the training pitch, for the hallways. I like. Because I imagine these things in my head. I imagine the conversation. I imagine the players and all of that kind of stuff. And it's it's quite nice to like actually know what that looks like. Um, which is probably the most insight that can actually be taken from this show. Because, you know, it's very, very performative. It's obviously very incredibly heavily edited. So, um, and very well polished and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, and there's, there's like, a, you get a slight, uh, insight to some characters um but there's not a huge amount to be learned obviously um yeah i mean it's it's very it's very sort of um sycophantical to Mourinho. it was obviously always going to be the Mourinho show he's obviously you know always going to be the key figure as the manager of the club but it was it's very it kind of feels instead of being like here's the situation at tottenham can Mourinho fix it it's wow here comes Mourinho. Isn't he incredible? Look at all the things he's going to do. He's even going to fix Tottenham now. That kind of thing. Uh, which I do sort of dislike a little bit. Um, but I'm I'm not too surprised about it either. Well, this is kind of what I was implying when I said at the start that people can um, use it to, to fit whatever agenda or narrative they've got. Because I think you'll find just as many people say that Mourinho is shown here to be an absolute winner with an elite mentality. I, <laughs> yeah. I think people will say that. They absolutely will watch this and say, Mourinho is a winner. Um, he knows how to motivate players uh, and his man management is exceptional. 
I think you will get just as many people that say Mourinho is completely outdated, can't communicate with young people, has dinosaurish ideas, he's incredibly self-centred and incredibly Machiavellian in the, in his way of dealing with um with, with people and interaction. Um, so I don't know. I I, I feel as though you, you can kind of make that case either way. Um, one thing I would add is it was interesting that Sacramento was almost used like a spy um, for Mourinho. We speculated as to what Sacramento does. Um, and it certainly seems that one of the reasons Sacramento is there is because he's a bit closer in age to these young players and can, can perhaps communicate with them on a level that Mourinho can't. And if that's the case, then I think that is a really smart appointment by Mourinho to, to put Sacramento there. Um, one final thing for me is that I I felt really sad about seeing the Poch stuff. He looked so utterly broken in, in the few scenes we saw. And, and yet you had the players who were deeply loyal to him you know, Kane being on the phone to him on the on the night of his sacking, um, and all the kind words that they were willing to go on camera to say about him, even when we were playing really, really poorly. Um, yeah, that that made me that made me kind of pine to him a little. Um, one final question to you both, Bardi, do you feel differently about Tottenham Hotspur after watching this episode? Um, no, not really. He hasn't can't love or hate this club any more than I already do. It's just um. I find it fascinating. It hasn't changed my opinion of Tottenham. How about you, Nathan? Yeah. I also uh, already love and hate this club and therefore I'm unable to feel other ways. <laughs> well, I think I'm a marketer's dream because this episode has, has done for me exactly what they hoped it would, which is, in I don't know how they've done it, but I, I somehow feel even more interconnected with our football club and I kind of just want to go back and watch it again and notice every single detail and soak up every possible element and I also really want to know what was on that notepad <laughs> you've been listening to The Extra Inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Bardi for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud E. Lindmer do check him out he's great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.